Well, good morning, City Church, and welcome. It's so lovely to be able to share these few minutes with you um, in what is now our Advent period, our run-up to Christmas. I have the delightful task this morning of talking to you from the uh, book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. We've just read it. And it's a part of the Christmas story that I'm sure we're all very familiar with. But actually, as you dig into it, it's one of those passages of Scripture that are just covered with the very fingerprints of God. At first reading, it sounds almost too good to be true. It sounds almost like a fairy tale. It's got all the elements. It's got villains and heroes. It's got kings and tyrants. It's got babies. It's got royalty. It's got supernatural dreams. And it's got stars. Stars of all things. For me, and I'm, I, I cast my mind back to when I was a child, it presented so many questions, this whole story of the Magi, the wise men who come to Bethlehem to visit Jesus. It presents so many questions, many of which are still not satisfactorily answered. And yet, and yet, it's a story that continues to pull at me, to draw me in. Because in a sense, I'm part of that story as so are you who are watching this this morning. And we'll hopefully pick that apart a little bit as we go on this morning. But for me, as I was saying, as a child, I can remember hearing the story and having so many questions. I mean, who on earth were these wise men? Um, what is this star that they had seen? And how on earth could a star possibly, possibly lead a group of men from a faraway country right to a very house where someone was living because let's face it that's what happens in this story and as I've got older and, and I've poked around in this a bit more and I don't want to get too derailed by this this morning but we learn that these these three wise men these magi they first appear in the book of Daniel if you remember remember Daniel Daniel the dreamer sorry Daniel the dreamer Daniel <laughs> I'm thinking of Joseph the dreamer Daniel who gets kidnapped effectively, as a young boy and gets taken off to Babylon. And uh, there's the whole story of Daniel and Daniel's friends who get thrown in the lion's den. But Daniel rises to this position of great power and influence. And he becomes head of the Magi, these wise men, these super intelligentsia, um, astronomers, philosophers. And uh, it's clearly there in the book of Daniel, chapter four. So we know a little bit about the Magi. Um, but the star, the star is something that continues to fascinate me even now. I mean, if you take, for instance, and this is, of course, conveniently forgetting our own sun, which is a typical star. Our nearest star goes by the name of Alpha Centauri. And I'm going to consult my notes for this. It's a mere 401 trillion, 208 billion kilometers away. So let's suppose you could stand on that star and shine a beam of light right back to Earth. If that beam of light deviates by just one degree, you get an error, and I'm just doing some simple, simple trigonometry here, you get an error of about 701,833,000,000 kilometres. What's your point in that, I hear you saying? Well, that beam of light, not only would it just miss 
the house where Jesus was, it wouldn't just miss Bethlehem, it would miss the whole planet by a long shot. So how could it guide these wise men, these magi? And I don't fully understand. I don't honestly know is the best answer I can give you. I'm sure, I'm, I'm of the opinion that it was an astronomical phenomena that raised their attention, the wise men's attention to the birth of Jesus. They even say so. We have seen his star rising in the east. But I do know this, that stars are big on God's agenda. And to unpack this a little bit more, you need to go right back into Genesis. Genesis 1 verse 16. There's a frightening throwaway statement that appears in the creation story. In verse 16, it says, he, God, made the stars also. Made the stars also. Made the stars. And yet in verse 14, he says this. Let them be for seasons and for days and years and also for signs. So you ask yourself, signs, what signs? Like a road sign giving you direction? Uh, is, it, is it symbolic? Is it something else? But let them be there for signs. And it's there in the beginning of the creation story, I believe, for really good reason. And I can't help throwing in a bit of provocative thought, a bit of controversy here. It may even be that we, some of you watching this, this, this broadcast, may even have seen one of those signs. What do you mean? Let me tell you a story. A few years ago, a few of us from City Church, we'd gone out to uh, Orjanikidze in the Ukraine to support Victor and his church, Victor being a friend of, of City Churches. And we had some time to kill on the return journey. And we were in Kiev. So we took ourselves off and had a look round the Chernobyl Museum. It's a haunting place to go. It's really interesting. Um, but at one point in our tour, we stopped, our guide was showing us, and he stopped us by this big mural that was painted on the wall. And underneath this mural, there was a quote written in Russian, or Ukrainian Russian. And we asked him, I like to think it was me that asked him, but honestly, I can't remember, what was all this about? And our guide explained, he said, it's a quote from Revelation chapter eight. And it says this, then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star, now get this, the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. What's all that about? Well, it turns out, and there was an article written about this in the New York Times at around the time. Cast your mind back. Remember the explosion that happened in Chernobyl with the nuclear reactor? It was one of their RBMK reactors in 1986. It, it blew up. There was this awful, awful incident. And uh, many people lost their lives. And many of the world's water and precipitation systems were contaminated by it. And it's frightening if you look at the statistics because it's still affecting people even today. But it turns out, and this is what they quoted, this is what they said basically in the New York Times article. It turns out Ukrainian word for wormwood is Chernobyl. Now, wormwood is a wild herb. 
This is well documented, okay? It was used as a, as a tonic and the woods apparently around Chernobyl are well known for it and that's where it kind of got its name. So this herb, one wormwood, really bitter herb, which was used as a tonic, its name also means Chernobyl. And I present that to you because it is quite provocative. So was it a coincidence, you know, when that reactor blew up and that explosion that subsequently happened as a result, you know, it unleashed a power that's been likened unto a small supernova. And the result of it was that it polluted many of the world's water tables and water systems. I mean, we even saw it in this country up in the top of Scotland. Um, so I just present that to you. Have a think about it. Who can forget as well in the story of the Bible back in Genesis, the story of Joseph the dreamer. Remember how Joseph has this dream and he explains it to his brothers. He says, I dreamt that the sun, the moon and the stars all bowed down before me and worshipped me. And it really riled his brothers. And you know the story. They sell him into Egypt. We won't disappear down that rabbit hole. But I present that to you because he is, that's Joseph, he is like a, he's a foreshadowing, a model of Jesus. And Jesus will return again one day. And the sun, moon and stars will all bow down before him. But to get back to our story in Matthew, this, the visit of the Magi, one of the other things that really fascinates me, really that I've really questioned, is King Herod's response to the wise men. Never in this whole account does Herod argue with the Magi. He's worried. He's really scared. He even sets up this secret interview to find out all he can about their mission. And he has an ulterior motive, as we know from the story, and it, it, I don't want to steal other people's thunder in this series. He has this ulterior motive. He says, you go and find out where this baby is. Come back and tell me that I may worship also. So despite being a despotic leader, a, a, a real bad egg, he doesn't fight the Magi in that sense. He recognises something of God in this. And I'm convinced that Herod saw the star also. And that's why he's so worried. But my arguments, uh, sorry, my task this morning is not to present to you clever arguments or thoughts and speculations. I've come this morning to ask you one question and one question only. And it's simply this. Have you allowed Jesus to truly and completely captivate you. Think about that. You see, those wise men, those magi, they'd seen the star. They'd understood the prophecies. They knew their Bible, or at least what they had at that time. They understood their, 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 their Bible. They put, in effect, their lives on stop to embark on this epic journey across hundreds of miles to negotiate volatile and dangerous people, King Herod, so that they can finally, by some supernatural means, enter the very house where Jesus is. 
And having done all that and seen all those truly miraculous things, their instant response, we are told in this story, is they fell at Jesus's feet and worshipped him. They worshipped him because they realised, just like we sing in the song, they realised, they recognised that he was worthy of it all. He was worthy of all that they could give. Their skills, their learning, their authority, their wealth and their time. And they absolutely got it. They absolutely recognised it. He was worthy and he is worthy of it all. And let me tell you, if you can reach the same decision as those wise men did and fall at his feet and worship, I guarantee you this, it will fill you with a joy, a supernatural joy that this world knows nothing about. So that's my question to you this morning. Have you allowed Jesus to truly captivate you? One final thought and then I'm done. Know this. And we're on the theme of stars again here. Jesus will return. He makes that very clear in Revelation. He says this in uh, Revelation 22:16. He actually identifies himself with the very star. He says, I am. Now, if you're a biblical scholar, that statement alone gets your attention. Jesus says, I am. I am that bright and morning star. And behold, in Revelation 22, verse 12, he says, I am coming soon. And I look forward to that with eager anticipation. I hope I will see it in my lifetime. So may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May his son, Jesus, truly, truly captivate you this Advent period and beyond. And if you don't know about that, captivation please feel free to contact me or the church or any of us on the leadership team we would love to talk further with you about that but bless you it's been great to spend these few moments talking to you bye-bye for now